Hello and welcome to the Untitled Podcast. It's Foxy oh. here. Hello, it's Tala here as well. Exciting to be back. It is exciting to be back. Uh, you know, we made it to episode two, which is something that doesn't always happen with a podcast. Uh, sometimes you just get one and that's it. But uh, some exciting news isn't there, Tala. We've got a title. We do, we do. We have a title. We have a title. It is going to be called Whatever is True. Whatever is True is this podcast. So welcome to Whatever is True. Uh, and you might be thinking, that's a strange name for a podcast. Well, it comes from Philippians 4.8, where we are encouraged to fill our minds with all sorts of things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. And uh, we think that this is kind of along the lines, the aim of this podcast. We want to fill our listeners' ears with things that are true. So uh, welcome to whatever is true. And we hope your ears and minds and hearts are filled with true things over the next 20 or so minutes. Yeah, so we've got a title and this week we're looking a bit more at John 4, uh, which is what we've been doing at church. We've been going through um, John's gospel and we looked at John 4 on on Sunday. And I think, Fox, as we've chatted about it, you and I have both reflected on just how much is jam-packed into this chapter. It's uh, you preached on it uh, in the evening uh, congregation, Walt preached in the morning, and there's just so much that was happening. Uh, yeah, so we, we thought we'd try and keep that conversation going. And, Fox, you particularly were struck by how much Old Testament uh, makes sense of this chapter for us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, over and over again, actually, as we've gone through John, I've been struck by just how rich the Old Testament background is. And in preparation for preaching, John, I listened to another podcast, which I recommend. I helped me teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie. And she, and I can't remember the person she interviewed, but he talks about when you're reading John, you want to go, you want to go big and go broad. And what he's kind of saying by that is don't just read the immediate context, like, you know, before chapter four came to Nicodemus, but actually go way broader. And what's the Old Testament background that kind of helps you understand John 4. And I, he kind of made this point where he said, you know, if we hear, um, uh, I want to hold your hand, hopefully maybe your first thoughts go to, oh, it's a Beatles song uh, <laughs> or, or a yellow submarine. I don't know. And you are Beatles. And almost what happens when you read John is if we were really in tune with our Old Testament, we would read John 4 and we'd be like, oh, Ezekiel 36. Yeah. Or we'd say is equal 40. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, just I, I'll, I'll mention one thing. Um, okay, I think one of the things which uh, I picked up on on Sunday was just Ezekiel particularly and Isaiah as well. There's just so many themes that are running through this that I think if they were listening carefully, they would have gone, oh, this is, this is Jesus saying something huge. Uh, um, and uh, for example, uh, in Ezekiel 36, there is this picture where God says that he's going to unite together the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes. Mm. And suddenly you get in this story, you get Samaria kind of representing the northern tribes, Jesus, mm. the Jew, Jerusalem representing the southern tribes, and you, you do see them kind of united together. Uh, and then also within Ezekiel, not that far afterwards, you start getting lots of spirit language. Uh, and the time when this great unification 
happens between north and south, one people under one king, is also the, the time of the spirit. And so when you get into uh, chapter 40 of Ezekiel and they talk about, you know, the, this new age where at this point the way that Ezekiel describes it is like the temple is renewed. What happens when the temple is renewed is that there's a waters that stream through the, water, the temple and that is also representing the spirit which is streaming out as well, which John picks up later in John 7 where he talks about water and spirit connections. And so as you kind of read Isaiah, um, sorry, Ezekiel 36, 40, uh, you start going, oh, as people were listening to John 4, they would be like, whoa, Jesus coming to a Samaritan and then offering living water, which is connected to the spirit, is Jesus saying the new age has come, the king is here. Uh, and it, I think it's, it's, it's a huge moment in, in John's gospel. Yeah, wow. That's so cool. So like when you're reading John's gospel and this particular chapter, you kind of think, oh, here's a conversation between two people. But the implications are, are huge, are huge for um, what who Jesus is and what he's come to do, um, bringing in this new age. That's really, really cool. Thanks, Fox. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, another one, which I think will segue into something else is I, I reckon it's fascinating that if you read uh, Genesis and uh, you start noticing what happens when people meet at a well. And mm. it sounds a bit obscure, but so often as you read through Genesis, mm. uh, you'll see that uh, husbands meet their wives at the well, uh, at a well. And so I think, uh, correct me if I've got the right people, Isaiah and Rebecca, this is true. No, Isaiah, Isaac and Rebecca. Have well, right it's one? actually um, Abraham's person. servant who is sent, but to yeah. find a wife for Isaac. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, and so you get that picture there. It happens. Does it happen more than once in Genesis? Yeah, with um, Rachel and Jacob. Yep. At the well. And then you get it again in Exodus where Moses meets, I think it's his, you know, soon to be father-in-law, I think. Is that right? At a well? Oh, there is a well, and <laughs> now I'm hazy on the details. But, yes, there is a well. There's definitely... <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a well people in Exodus. I'm just trying to remember who Moses meets, but the person Moses meets at the well, it does lend, end up with Moses meeting his uh, soon-to-be wife. And so... Fox? Oh. Yeah, well, I think we're still online. I think we are, but you cut out for a bit, so I have no idea what you've just said. Uh, okay. Well, what I was saying is that uh, you get into John 4 and there's, there's Jesus comes to a well and he meets a woman. Hmm. And with all this background, you're starting to think, what is about to happen at this well? Um, and I, I wonder what, back, what, what significance this has as we read John 4. Uh, and I know, Tyler, you've had a bit of a thought of just noticing a sort of marriage theme that is coming through in John at least in the first four chapters but maybe more um yeah what do you what do you think of this kind of all these wells yeah um yeah yeah no I it's when we've been reading it this time around I think one of the things I noticed was was that so I you know thinking about what you've said about John 4 and you see a well it's kind of wedding bells uh, in Old Testament land and and chapter two we had the wedding of Cana uh, and chapter two and four uh, sometimes we talk about it as a unit because chapter four ends in Cana chapter two starts in Cana so um, 
So it starts with a wedding, ends with this well. Um, and in between, in at the end of Chapter 3, you've got this little interlude with John the Baptist talking um, about Jesus. And he, again, brings up this theme of like a wedding, right? He talks about uh, himself as being the friend of the bridegroom who's just really like basically rejoicing. He's so happy because the bridegroom is here um, and that's who Jesus is. And John is, John's the best man. And he's just, he's talking about his joy is now complete because it's come. And so I, I wonder if like John's little, um, uh, John's words here almost help uh, frame what we see on either side of his words. So in chapter two and chapter four, as we hear what John is saying, that he's the best man and the bridegroom has come and he's, this is it, this is the wedding. Um, you look back and you see, oh, the bridegroom who turned water into wine, uh, the bridegroom who's meeting the woman at the well, and not just any woman, but a Samaritan, um, this Messiah has come because that's exactly who the bridegroom is. He is the Messiah, which is what John tells his uh, disciples. Uh, he goes, I am not the Christ. I'm looking at chapter 328. I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So basically, John, I think, is kind of helping us think about what is happening at John 4 is the bridegroom has come. And then we get to John 4, there's a well, and you go, oh, here he is. He Here is the Messiah. He's here. He's on the scene. And, and it's an exciting scene to be part of. Um, so, yeah, I, I've just been really struck by um, that theme that comes throughout these chapters. Yeah, and I, you know, just as you were saying that, I was really, it is quite amazing that when you think, okay, the, the bridegroom's come and you think, yes, he's going to be kind of the groom of Israel. Mm. But then you get chapter four and it's, yes. well, no, the the groom of, um, you know, Israel and um, Judah or it's including Samaritan and and then by the end of chapter four, including the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, this this Messiah is not just for the Jews. Um, the salvation has come through the Jews, which is what Jesus says, you know, yeah. uh, but it is actually, it has implications far beyond. We're seeing some Samaria now and we'll keep seeing how it expands out to the whole world, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah, so cool. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, one of the things I, I, I don't know, I'm, gonna, I'm jumping forward to something which maybe, how do you see this kind of in the last part of the, the last episode of chapter four? Hmm. There is a scene where a royal official's son is healed and it's in Galilee, um, Cana, same yes. place where the Wedding. miracle happened where the yeah. water was turned to wine i mean what do you what do you make of this last episode it wasn't really mentioned in either of the sermons i think on sunday but yeah how do you think this wraps it together like because like you said it kind of is completing a section of john really uh this section kind of started in cana galilee it ends in cana galilee uh, what do you what do you make of that yeah it's a it's a funny section and i think this is like what we were saying before you could almost preach this same chapter over four weeks and just do the same, the whole chapter and take four massive different points out. Like look at the Old Testament, uh, Messiah is here. Look, the, the bridegroom has come. Look, um, 
what it means for the Samaritans and for the whole world. Um, but then you also have this like really interesting little episode where uh, so starts 40, uh, verse 43, um, after two days he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. And then we've got a little note there for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honour in his own hometown. Uh, so when he came to Galilee, you are expecting that he's not going to be honoured because of what we've just read in verse 44, but actually the Galileans welcomed him, having seen mm. all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And you kind of say, ah, okay, what is the problem here? We're expecting him, him to be rejected, but instead he's welcomed because they've seen what he's done. They've seen the signs. And yet that's actually not a model of faith um, because throughout John we keep seeing that those who come to Jesus because they've seen the sign and not to know him have got it wrong. They've got it the wrong way around. They've gone for the sign and not the Messiah. Um, Which is interesting, but just butting in for a minute. Yeah, like, yeah. I think in my years of youth ministry, I've had many, well, not many times, but enough times where a teenager said to me, look, I'd believe in Jesus if he just did a miracle right in front of me right now. Yeah. And you go, it's kind of a little bit, you see that play out a bit here. And I like your, what you just said then, you know, if they wanted to see the sign. They didn't want to know him. Mm. And I think that, you know, I'd want to say that to a that young teenager who asked me that many, you know, what, why do you want to see the sign? Don't you want to just know him? Anyway, go on. Yeah, us. no, that's, that's, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I don't think it's all teenagers. I think of all of us um, adults, you hear that as well. Um, yeah. And it, it's a huge contrast to the Samaritans because we've just had, you know, 42 verses in Samaria with this woman and Jesus does not perform a single sign. And yet she and the whole town come to Jesus and it says, verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. And so mm. the Samaritans have actually become a model of faith and the Galileans uh, are not. Um, and then we come to this last official that closes off this little unit and he's come to Jesus for help as well, for Jesus to perform a sign. And Jesus uh, says to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So the man actually takes Jesus at his word, leaves without seeing the sign, and he becomes another model of faith. And so he and the Samaritans um, are showing us what faith is. It's coming to, it's taking Jesus at his word. Um, mm. When Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, I'm the Christ, she believes him. She, she brings the town to come to him. Um, and that's that's what faith is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that is really, um, it's pretty amazing as well. Like, I think it's not conclusive. Like, you wouldn't be able to nail it down for sure, but it's it's likely that the royal official is a Gentile as well, right? And so you almost see a bit of a movement here. You have the Jews and uh, Nicodemus, who is a bit, not sure about Jesus really. You mm. have the Samaritan who takes Jesus at his word and now you get a, you know, still a Samaritan, sort mm. of connected to the Jews. Mm. Um, but now you have a Gentile, possibly mm. I should say, a Gentile mm. uh, who takes Jesus at his word and has faith. Mm. And so you can see Jesus' mission also expanding mm. and also the Samaritans and the Gentiles being really the models of what it looks like to believe. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, yeah. Such a 
such a challenging um I guess I guess it really does um put the Jews there here who should have recognized their Messiah uh, just like Nicodemus comes before but um because salvation has come through the Jews uh and yet you're seeing that this Messiah's implications are so far beyond worldwide and he's an exciting yeah. man to watch I'm I'm mm. so keen to see how the rest of John's going to pan out as we take a closer look at this Messiah yeah I'm excited too I mean I don't know if you have a thought on this um but what are, why is this you know he finishes verse 54 this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee mm. yeah what is the relationship between this sign and the one that was also performed with the water turning into wine I, is there something particularly you think we're meant to get out of it i mean one thing i did notice is oh. that in both cases you have so the master who tastes the wine in um, chapter two he did not realize whether it came from so the servants knew where the water had drawn from and so mm. there's like almost a bit of a secrecy to the miracle uh, mm. some know some don't and you kind of get it again in the end of chapter four, right, that the servants don't really realise how significant their words are when they say yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him. Uh, they're also kind of a bit in the dark at just how significant that comment is. I mean, I don't know. Do, do you, have you got any thoughts on that? Well, well I don't know. Um... <laughs> Sorry, but I dropped this one on everyone. I was not at all made aware of this question. Uh, um. I don't know if I can say what's the significance of the two signs to, if I've answered the question, um, yeah. other than what we know with all the signs from John's uh, commentary at the end of this gospel is that they reveal that they are to draw our eyes to Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, um, and by believing have life. Uh, so I take that's what, that's not a satisfactory answer perhaps to what you're exactly asking. But um, both of these signs and all of them are going to keep taking us there. But did you have a more specific thought about how these two signs, you know, what, they, what they're teaching us? I'm going to throw it open to the podcast listeners. We'd <laughs> love to hear your thoughts. I just think it's intriguing that they both happen in Galilee, uh, Cana. They both mm. have some similarities, um, you know. Yeah, interesting. Um, but I don't have a I don't have a, a very deep thought actually, other than I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, yeah. Which actually, although I'm trying to turn nothing into something here, but I think that is kind of one of the ways to read John is to just follow the rabbit holes. Mm. Uh, I think there are so many things and just themes that keep on coming up in mm. John. Um, I mean, Tyler's given the example of the marriage theme. Just in staff meeting today, we were also talking about just how often water comes up. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, water baptism. There's, you need to be born from water and spirit. You, you need to drink the living water. Uh, next chapter, we're going to see a man healed in water. You start just going, I don't think the story is being told in such a way that we're just meant to go, oh, water, who cares? Mm. Um, there's, there's some real significance to the fact that this water theme keeps coming up in John and Again, don't have the answers right now, but if someone out there wants to follow that rabbit hole, I reckon you won't come up short. Yeah, no, that's true. Can I um, throw a question at you, Fox? And maybe yes, this could can. be like a final question before we wrap up. Um, 
you were talking about the water theme, obviously huge um, thing here with, with a woman at a well and the conversation about living water versus uh, everyday water in, from a tap. Uh, what do you think, uh, how, do we, how are we meant to understand what it is that Jesus actually is offering this woman? In this yeah chapter. yeah and I think um that like I think on face value when I've heard this taught before and I admit even when I've taught it before I've really heard this as a, a thing about your being satisfied so your thirst being quenched and I, I reckon that is quite appealing if you think about it like I often feel quite thirsty to be satisfied in this world because in the end nothing really does quench my thirst so if I chase after money I know in the end uh, money will either run out or I'll die with just a big bank account but not having to spend all my money if I chase um, success sure I might get that for 20 years but in the end it's gonna fade and I'll have nothing left and so I'm constantly chasing after satisfaction but never getting it and then you read John 4 and you start thinking oh well Jesus is offering me um, to never thirst again so maybe what he's offering me is to be always satisfied but, you know, I don't think those were the concerns that Jesus had mm. um, when he was offering water. Um, it could potentially be an implication of this passage, but I don't think that's really what um, he's offering. And partly this, you know, takes us right back to the beginning of our chat today is that the, the language of water is so um, rich in the Old Testament to be connected to uh well, the spring of living water connected mm. to God himself, Jeremiah 2.13. So he actually refers to himself as a spring of living water who people reject. And so straight away there you go, well, okay, he's not just offering this person satisfaction. He's offering this, this woman, mm. him, God, huge, right? Uh, and then when you see the water theme again coming through Ezekiel, it's, so, it's really connected to spirit, the Holy Spirit. Mm. In Isaiah, you got it in chapter, I think it's 44, but again in 55, it's, it's water and it's to do with coming into a relationship with God. It's the spirit. And you start saying that what Jesus really is offering here when he's offering living water mm. is he's offering this person life with him. Uh, and and it's, it's a life where, uh, which starts now as the spirit comes and it's a life that then continues into eternity. Mm. So he's really offering her eternal life as opposed to, satisfaction on this life mm. um, and I think that is important for us to to take note of um, partly because I think you know what um, you're not uh, here's a truth bomb you're not going to be satisfied in this life mm. is that true Tala I think that's true yeah well there's because we live in a world that's that's broken at the very least that that's gonna cause us dissatisfaction where our longing is for for heaven the now and yeah. not yet um that means we will be dissatisfied i think yeah and so when we cling to jesus words here and we go oh, this means i can be satisfied now mm. you know it it actually is going to hurt us in the long run uh what jesus is offering us right here is eternal life with him that will be mm. incredibly satisfying. Okay. Uh, it, it will be perfect satisf satisfaction. Um, and that actually does help us. It helps us. It won't make us feel, I think, 
any less thirsty when it comes to how average life can be. Um, but I do think that when you stop and pause and you realise my need for God to come into my life and forgive me and my need for God to give me life has been fulfilled when Jesus gave me water, mm. that is a, it's pretty profound. Mm. Um, it does change how you view what real thirst is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and really makes you reevaluate uh, where it is that you are looking to fill up on. Um, yeah. Because what Jesus is saying is this is it. This is this is what you need. You need. Yeah. And 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 I love um, verse ten, where Jesus answers her, "If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water." Mm. That we just ask him, like he yeah. he and he gives and gives that living water, that eternal life. It's such a rich blessing that we have in Christ. Mm. Yeah, which I think is another rabbit hole to, to go down, actually, if you want to. is Just look at the way that John uses the language of gift and gave. Um, you know, John 3, he gave his one and only son. Mm. And you kind of start seeing this connection where he is saying, uh, look what he will give you. He will mm. give his life for you. Mm. Uh, chapter 14 through to 17, you know what he's going to give you? He's going to give you the counsellor who will give you comfort as he reminds you of words of truth. But there is, he is a giving God gives his life, gives his spirit, um, amazingly generous, and he gives us what we really need, what, not what we think we need. Mm. Absolutely. So yeah. Cool. Very good, TK. Um, great chatting. Yep, so good chatting. I think that's a wrap for episode two. Uh, we're, we, we don't know where we're going for next week, but we will be back. So uh, thanks for tuning in to Whatever is True.